This week's episode is brought to you by Patreon at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Not only do you get access to every episode a week early and ad-free, but we have tons of extras, including our two newest interviews. We chat with Mike Scully about his time executive producing the show. I ran it through uh, seasons 9 through 12, which I always characterize as the four most consecutive seasons of the show. And we talk with writer Mimi Pond about what it was like to write the first episode of The Simpsons. You know, and I get to be the turd in the punch bowl every single time I tell this story because nobody wants to hear anything bad about The Simpsons. You can find all that and more exclusively on Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody, I'm Bob Mackey. I'm Henry Gilbert. And this is a special intro we're doing for our live show uh, at the California Academy of Sciences. If you couldn't make it, we're sorry, but we have it recorded for posterity. And 35 minutes of this is with the great uh, comedian, writer, show creator, uh, actor, Dana Gould. He's a renaissance man. Mm-hmm. Who also worked on The Simpsons from seasons 13 through 18, which yes. we talked about I don't know if we set that up entirely in the interview, but yes, yeah. This was a ton of fun. We recorded this on January 18th, 2018, mm-hmm. and at, uh, at a science museum of all places, and we had a really good time. If you want to hear all of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, I guess we talked a ton about that on our uh, community podcast, Talk to the Audience on the yes. Patreon. Go back to last week's Talk to the Audience, and if you're listening to this way, way, way down the line, it's the January 2018 Talk to the Audience. You can mm-hmm. hear, I don't know, 10 minutes of talk about how the event was set up, how we ran into Dana mm. Gould, how he was very nice, and I think uh, this is a great uh, live show, our first, so you first can hear yeah. all of us as, uh, as I don't know, new fish in this in this dangerous <laughs> world. And yeah, SF Sketchfest was super awesome to have us there, and to not only offer us a space on the show, but to set us up with Dana Gould as well, so super yeah. big thanks to SF Sketchfest, especially Cole Stratton and Jane and Varney. So yeah, please enjoy this live Talking Simpson show. Ahoy hoy, everybody. Welcome oh. to the very first Talking Simpsons live show. Thank you for, so much for coming. Thank you. Hello. Yes. Thanks for coming. Yeah. I am your host, the very washed, basin fresh Bob Mackey. <laughs> who else is here with me today? Uh, I may be hate-filled and ugly, but I'm Henry Gilbert. Hi. <laughs> and who else? Uh, and Chris forgot to come up with something funny, Antista. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that one's going to stick. <laughs> in, case, in case you haven't heard our show before, who in this uh, audience has not heard our show before? Oh, wow. We got a lot of newcomers. That's so in case you don't know us, we are Talking Simpsons. We are a chronological uh, Simpsons podcast on the Laser Time Podcast Network. We've been doing this for three years. We do a podcast episode for every episode of The Simpsons. We're up to season seven right now, and you can find us at TalkingSimpsons.com. And that's basically the sales pitch. Please subscribe. You came to us for what we do normally, but the bad news is we're not doing what we do normally, so the joke's on Sorry. you. Sorry. We have a very special thing planned for this live show, and it's all about the most pathetic man in Springfield. And right. to help us out, we have a very non-pathetic guest, the great Dana Gould. Dana Gould, ladies hey, and gentlemen. Dana So I believe Chris can give a, a, a brief biography on Dana here. Yes. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we start out, congratulations hey. on season three of Stand Against Evil. Thank you very much. Oh, wow. you clap, people. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, yes. It's a, it's a non-Simpsons show with live <laughs> actors on a... Ad-supported cable channel. <laughs> it did have one of my like most laugh-out-loud moments with your character, Kevin, last year, because I was like... Kevin it, is it basically groundskeeper. Not a spoiler, but, but yeah, there, there's a moment where you can't speak and must pantomime. I'm like, uh, yeah. oh yeah, this guy worked in cartoons. <laughs> like, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you worked that's in... That was two of my favorite things is crying so hard that you can't make a noise, which is just... <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is crying, segueing into laughing, segueing back into crying. You're at a funeral with a friend, and somebody's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Oh, God. Oh, God. Those are my favorite. Well, that crying is very appropriate, Dana. We're here to talk about the most pathetic uh, man in Springfield. Frankly, they're all pretty pathetic, but yeah, you were so- a Simpsons writer for several seasons, and you've probably written s- through several of those pathetic men. 
Is it? Uh, I, I, I'm blanking on the name of the character. You'll have to give me. I was not prepared. Uh, the the basically the the is it the Jack Lemon? Oh, Gil, 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 Gil yes. yeah, oh Gil. Sorry, yeah, Gil, Gil, Gil. I sent you to Phoenix to tame this town. <laughs> uh, is that is or is it? Are we guessing who it is? I mean, we we each have our own pitch for who. Okay, it is. Yes. good. All right, good. I mean, we kind of ruled out Gil initially for being too pathetic because he is he would automatically win, but yeah. you definitely have him pegged. It is local. his. It is the lingua franca of Gil. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, so you worked on the show seasons 13 to 19, right? Like, yeah, 13 to 19 and 13 to 20. Uh, what was it like? Like, 13 was when Al Jean took back over on the show, right? Like, what was the feeling that season? It was bloody warfare. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I came in. Uh, I was hired by Mike Scully. And George, Mike and George Meyer were sort of running the rooms. And Mike went off to do a pilot for Robert Schimmel. And Al came in. Oh, wow. uh, and, and Al took over the and Al took over the show, and I, um, it was it was, I think the feeling on season thirteen was probably the feeling on season eight was probably the se- feeling on season four, which is probably the feeling on season twenty seven, which is please don't let this be the season we screw it up. <laughs> well, yeah, is, that must be an intense pressure coming on to something like The Simpsons, right? Oh, it's horrifying. <laughs> I, I liken it to to use a it's sort of an older reference, but if you've ever seen the movie let it be the 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 documentary of the worst beatles album um uh, there's a scene where they bring in billy preston to play with them on and he's like okay i'll just sit in with the beatles cool and 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 that's kind of your feeling like oh all right Great. Yeah, we, um, we actually interviewed Mike Skull, and he told us uh, his experience was being the average guy in a room full of Harvard people who all knew each other. Was that a similar experience for you? Yes, absolutely. And I did not go to Harvard. I went to, uh, I went to UMass and dropped out, which I think endeared me to Scully because <laughs> he actually and, cause he lived near UMass. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's, a lo- there's a lot of that, a lot of people talking about their time on the Lampoon uh, and... And I came from stand-up comedy, so I was just like a weird carny that had wandered into the room. And that's what I was sort of wondering is like you come from stand-up and then you go work in animation, which is, is essentially a 9- to 10-month joke delivery system. Was or 12-month joke Was that delivery. difficult for you? It was, yeah, it was a big transition period in, in my life because I had just gotten married and I had just bought in a house. And I had started to do stand-up comedy when I was 17. And I was 30 and I was I just got married. I was ready to... I was like, great, I'll be an adult now. I'll have a job and a house and an office and a, a name tag. And, uh, and, and that worked for a while. And then I went, I hate this. Um, not, the, not, the, not the show. I, I never hated the show, but just like. The routine, the nine to five? Yeah, the nine to five. I, I, uh, I like to do a lot of different things. And um, you are right now. Jesus. Yeah, I stay, I, I stay busy. But I, you know, I learned how to write on the show and. Uh, it was, it was a great time. It was a great time. You were the first person I, I mean, I didn't know writers in Hollywood. You were the first person I knew who you were coming out of the Simpsons. Yeah. And it was the, so it was the first time I was excited for the introduction of a writer on the Simpsons. Um, no, I, I understand, I understand that. And people go, oh, I can totally hear your voice. And I'm like, no, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's sort of like seeing a Viking ship go by. Like I can really see Clem's rowing. You don't think, well, there's not one thing you'd put your, like, that's a Dana Gould stamp on the Simpsons. Uh, yeah, but it was all stuff that was too gross to make the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, Actually, yeah, I'd like to know what you pitched that maybe couldn't make a make up Simpsons episode. Oh, I can tell you. Please, uh, yeah. uh, we're an R-rated podcast. Mm-hmm. We we opened at a book fair, and uh, I had Doctor Nick looking at a copy of Our Bodies Ourselves, <laughs> <laughs> and he said with shock and horror. That woman has a baby coming out of her abortion hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Whoa. That's a, that's a little too spicy. But, up next, living but, single. But <laughs> made the script. Wow. <laughs> so wow. was that the table, the table read then? Uh, but the, but yeah. the, the one thing that was good was in the first episode that I wrote that was called Homer the Mo. Uh, is the first on-screen suicide. That's, I was going to ask about that. I swore <laughs> that had to be you. That, yeah, that be was, you. that yeah. was, that was. Uh, George Meyer had a lot to do with that, too. Uh, uh, but 
Yeah, that was true. That was actually that was all George Meyer. Yeah. Um, but after the the table read, Matt Groening walked up to me and said, 13 seasons without a suicide." Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there were several more after that. I, I, I assume. Yeah, then we really got into a jag. And, but, and that was one of the interesting <laughs> things. You know, you'll get into jags of stuff. And, and one of the things that, you know, there was the jag for a while that, like, things would roll away. And whenever they would hit something, they would explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we hit this jag of horror, Homer chloroforming people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we got a lot of mileage out of Homer chloroforming people. But at one point, Homer chloroformed Marge. I could get out of an argument or something. Uh. Yeah. And it aired. And, and Jim Brooks hit the roof. Wow! <laughs> like anybody bring any chloroform? Yeah, he was not. He was not pleased with that. Uh, I mean, he he seems to know what he's doing, so you have to defer. <laughs> well, yeah. How much day to day is like Matt Groening and James O. Brooks like still involved in, or at least in third year time there? In my time there, I mean, it it, it depends on whether or not Jim's making a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he's making a movie, he's off making a movie. And if he's not, he's down the hall. And, mm-hmm. and he's absolutely still involved. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, and, and Matt, too. Matt's, Matt's around. Matt sits in the room and mm-hmm. pitches funny stuff. And, and people just go, God, I met Matt Graney. He's such a nice guy. Yeah, he's a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> of course he's a nice guy. Doesn't but he is. He's a, I, I, love, I love Matt. He's a, he's a lovely guy. What, uh, like, what does it feel in the writer's room like, compared to, I guess, other writer's rooms you've been in? Um, well, it was my favorites. I run my room the way um, Mike Scully ran the room. And I'll just give you a, 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 a my, my theory is that nature abhors a vacuum. And if, you know, if you say, all right, well, let's just work. And people don't know when they're finishing and they don't know what the goal is. They'll just kind of meander. And, mm-hmm. and I usually, like, I had a, the first story room yesterday for season three of Stand Against Evil. Mm-hmm. And we met at 930. And I said, I, I really want to get at least a good head start on six. I, I want to know what six episodes are. I already have three. So we have three hours to come up with three episodes. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to get out of here by four. Because mm-hmm. we're over in Santa Monica, and I had to pick up my daughter from tennis, and and I was and it was like great, and we nailed it, and we left, you know. And I think if I just like, what do you want to do? We'd have been there all night, mm. and I just don't think that that's. This is my own personal thing. My, I had a really great story with Mike Scully. We were in the room, and something happened, and. We had to stay late. Mike was like, guys, I'm sorry. We have to stay late. I apologize. It's at 9-11. We have to finish this. It was, it was, <laughs> I have a story about that, too. His, <laughs> episode, his first episode was like a month after 9-11. Yeah. And it was, well, let me finish this story. Sorry. And then I'll, tell you the, <laughs> then I'll tell you the hilarious 9-11 story. Oh, yeah. Yes. But so, so everybody goes, call your wife or whatever. We'll order dinner, and uh, we'll finish up, and then. We all call our wives. Hey, we're going to be late. It's going to be a late night. Sorry. And uh, and then we all come in, and Mike goes, uh, oh, screw it. I told my kids I'd take them to see Chicken Run. Um, <laughs> just come in an hour early tomorrow. <laughs> and we all went home at the normal time, and we all came in an hour early in the next day and nailed it, which is kind of, nice. you know, people like to go. The, you promised me a 9-11 story. I did, the 9-11 <laughs> yes. story. So many jokes I'm not saying right now. Um, <laughs> but please appreciate them. Yeah, you know, 9-11 happened, and for people that were alive and old enough during that time, uh, happened early in the morning, and nobody went to work. But some people, I guess, had already gone into the office, and we're, like, calling them, like, well, I'm not going in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're not going to get anything done today. Yeah. Um, And we lived, my wife and I, uh, at the time, lived kind of halfway between, right in the center of town, behind the Chateau Marmont. And I said, well, you guys, if you want to just come over here, and just because people wanted to be together, you know, you didn't want to just be alone. You go, if anybody wants to come over here, just come over here. And everybody came over to my house. And, and then I turned to my wife. And it was like, you know, now it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. The other tower fell. <laughs> the world's at war. Uh, and I go, I go, everybody's coming over. We don't have any food. <laughs> so she goes, run to Ralph's. So I, I run to what's called Rock and Roll Ralph's on Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. They go in. It's it's nine eleven before noon, <laughs> and 
It's like L.A. looks like the Omega Man. It's like wow. the em- streets are empty, the grocery store is empty, and I run in and buy a bunch of hot dogs and potato chips. <laughs> it's a 9-11 barbecue. <laughs> I'm checking out. I'm the only guy there. I'm checking out, and I don't know. The, the cashier just goes, oh, man, you're having a party. <laughs> but, like, with, but not like he didn't. It wasn't like, you're having a party. He was like, it's like no one told him. He was like, no, no one's on the street. They must be at your house. <laughs> it, was, it, was the, it was the craziest thing. It was the craziest thing. How, how does and then we found out the next day the whole thing was a prank. <laughs> <laughs> well, how does uh, uh, writing for a comedy show change after something like that? Um, were certain things off limits? I noticed that there weren't very many jokes about George W. Bush in those years on the show. <laughs> no. Uh, people went, some people on the staff had a very healthy attitude towards it. Some people went bananas and thought we were going to get bombed because we worked at Fox. <laughs> and you forget, you know, that was, you know, in the days after that, people were sending anthrax around and you, you really oh. didn't, no one knew if that was a one-off or if it was stage one of a giant thing. I mean, it really was spooky, to, uh, spooky time. I remember the day The Onion came out that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. All, and it was all about 9/11, and 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 we were like, oh, okay, yeah, you can do it. You can, we can, hmm. we can, you can be funny about it. And then SNL came back on, and and we started That's to move right, forward because everybody changed their theme song for like a for like three yeah, weeks. Yeah, it was just showing flags and sad eagles. <laughs> and and, and uh, I remember, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a different time, and and I was we all went on to hate George Bush again. But yeah, the, the the immediate aftermath of it was was really crazy, and because you just didn't know how far this endeavor was going. We didn't know that they were like, "Did you see that?" <laughs> you know, they, they didn't plan on that happening. Either. They always bring it back to nine eleven. Yeah, that was not every single time. But, um, well, Let's talk about something less depressing. Mo Sislak. I know. Yeah. I know what the ladies like. That's why. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, is, isn't Mo one of your favorite guys? To Mo's write? my favorite character. Hands down, uh, my dad was a bartender when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Uh, the first episode I wrote was Home of the Mo, and that's about the bar that my dad ran. Uh, my dad ran the Nip Muck Rod and Gun Club, and <laughs> it was a private it was a private bar. You need a membership, but because you had a membership, it could stay open on Sunday, which you couldn't in Massachusetts in the 70s because of wow. what were called blue laws. Mm-hmm. It was a religious thing. Uh, but because it was a private club, you could go there. And the, and the design of the bar in the show is the basically mirrors what my dad had. And then the other part of it was uh, Mo turns the bar into a very upscale shishi restaurant called M, which was based on my experience of being at the W Hotel in New York and being in the men's room and not realizing I was in the men's room. <laughs> I just walked into this room. And there was like a waterfall against one side of the wall and nothing else. And I, but the door said men and I'm looking at it. And within a five second interval, a, a guy walked out of the wall and somebody started pissing on the waterfall. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess this is the best. But it was, it was, dare I, dare I say it, an orgasm of form over function. And, uh, and that was, that's where like the rabbits hanging in harnesses came from and the, Giant video of the eyeball, <laughs> and the and uh, the doorman for M Cecil mm-hmm. with the long hair and the beard uh, is my my friend who was then completely anonymous, ah, and now he's somewhat famous. Uh, my friend Greg Nicotero, mm-hmm. who's now the executive producer of The Walking Dead. Yeah, but at the wow. time he was just my friend Greg with long hair, and uh, <laughs> and so if you ever watch Home with the Mo, Greg is the doorman wow. for M. He's Cecil. I think you also had your brother on one of the commentaries. Yeah, my brother was. My brother Kevin, whom I'm named after in Stand Against Evil. Uh, Yeah, my brother was visiting, and uh, I had to go do a commentary, and he came with me, and uh, and, uh, it it was mad. He was like, Kevin, sit in. (laughs) (laughs) What's it like doing a commentary on this thing? You seem like a lot of fun. Oh, it's a blast. It's it's just just like this. It's just just like this. It's just watching it and, and... you know, the, be- the best commentary... Underneath a globe uh, yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, this We're is very Dr. Strange-lo- 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 <laughs> um, 
But it's it's the best commentaries are when you just get sidetracked and like I, I think it's the the commentary for John Carpenter's The Thing, and it's just John and Kurt Russell and they're old buddies and they go back and you go like. Kevin, I think Kevin built that. Yeah. Is he still married to Shelly? No. Did you hear about Shelly? Oh, her sister got real sick and she moved. Oh, that's terrible. And you're just, it's, I love that. And you just say, oh, they're just guys that have friends and talk. It's great. Uh, oh, well, you did make a very permanent addition to the show, uh, oh, yeah. a very biographical addition. I did, I did yeah. Uh, Ling Bouvier is my daughter, Lulu. Um, mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where I was trying to come up with a idea for an episode. My ideas always start off in the toilet. You know, what if Homer finds a hat? You know, it's always <laughs> haunted key fob. <laughs> and then um, Matt Groening said, "Well, why don't you write about you know going to China and adopting a baby?" Which I had just done. Like, oh yeah, I can do that easy. <laughs> and I did, and, and uh, it's all based on my wife's and my experience of going to China for the first of what would become three times, and. Uh, the ba Ling Bouvier is my daughter. Uh, her photo was the design. And it's based very loosely on, on our experiences in China. And Ling is now a recurring character on the show. She shows up now and again. And that, that girl is now 15 and is really funny. Uh, great sense of humor. Is really sharp. And she was watching The Simpsons. And she was on. And I went, oh, honey, that's you. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> like no, that's you. That's that's Ling. That's the character that I wrote about you, and that's your baby picture. And she just goes, "Yeah, I I like Bob's Burgers more." <laughs> oh. <laughs> didn't even, but like didn't even like look at me. Like yeah, I like Bob. She's, I, I took a picture of the albino alligator and texted it to her, and I went, "Honey, look an albino alligator." She just was like. I saw it last year. <laughs> right. It sounds like she posts on Simpsons forums. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was another question I love asking Simpsons writers. We talked to a lot of earlier guys, but you're around with the existence of the internet, like yes. full force. Yes. Was that difficult working on a show with that, that kind of dynasty? I don't People really paid a lot of attention to it. In the writing room? Yes. I differ from a, a lot of that opinion. And this will be sort of airy fairy, but like, I, I believe it is the res I don't consider myself an artist. I consider myself a craftsperson. But look at I, your badge. It is the exactly. It's artist on it. How could I not be an artist? It's laminated. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I believe it is. Your, it's your duty as a creative person to not let the audience create your piece. That mm. that you you create what you believe in and you show it to them, and it's theirs to like or not like. The death of the Star Trek franchise before the J.J. Abrams thing, all the next-gen movies, was because the audience had these rules. This has to happen, and this has to happen, and then Data does this, and that does... And it became kabuki theater, and they start to dictate what they want. And I believe that you have to, you have to challenge them and constantly surprise them. And the other thing that you found out is if you read these, the, the No Homers site was dictating all this stuff. Oh. And then found out, yeah, it's 23 people in Wales. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was like 23 13 year old people in Wales that were dictating everything. It was, it was driving everybody. Uh, wow. I don't think you should read that stuff. Oh, oh yeah. Danny, well, you I think unfortunately I, we have. I'm so, uh, unfortunately, only one there. Do you have a candidate go, for the most pathetic Springfield male? Outside of Gill, I would have to give it to Homer. I mean, oh, I have, no, 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 wow. no, I misspoke, I misspoke. I was going to say Homer, the, I have to give it to Mo, but yeah. Homer the Mo, I was just saying Homer the Mo. <laughs> uh, um, I, right. would, I, I would have to give it to Mo, and I would, and I would cite something that I, I wrote. It's not in one of my scripts, but it's something I wrote. It's the image of Mo that will always live with me. It's a man sitting alone in a bar drawing a wang on Marmaduke. <laughs> and then, and then cutting it out and putting it in a cardboard box and putting the cardboard box away, waiting for the next day's paper when you draw another wang on Marmaduke, cut it out and put it in the box. And then someday somebody finding a cardboard box full of Marmaduke cartoons. Where that took a turn. Where he's genetically accurate. Awesome. Uh, please give a round of applause oh, yes. for Dana Gould. He's Dana great. Gould. On that note, thank you, so, thank you much. so much, man. Thank you so much, Dana. Like. Like most 9-11 reveries, it ended in a man drawing a wang on Marmaduke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Thanks, Dana. Dana. Appreciate thank it, man. Woo!
Thank you so much. The Simpsons will be right back. Oh man, isn't Danny Gould awesome? Man, but the podcast is not over yet. Just pop it in here to remind you guys that we get to do cool stuff like this live show where we interview Dana freaking Gould at SF Sketch Fest. We're able to do this through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Your support there helps me and Bob do this full time and book cool guests and do tons of other cool stuff like our upcoming Futurama series, other interviews with folks like Mike Scully, Mimi Pond, Bill Oakley, Reed Harrison. You can listen to all of those along with our entire run through of The Critic in Talking Critic exclusively at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. We've gotten a ton of support there recently, but every little bit helps just five dollars a month you get a ton of cool stuff ten dollars a month you get access to even more awesome stuff and we just keep adding to it each week so check it out patreon.com slash talking simpsons You know, something else that was awesome seeing at the live shows were people wearing the Talking Simpsons t-shirt. It looks pretty awesome in a beautiful sky blue in a logo designed by Nina Matsumoto, awesome friend of the show. And you can get one for yourself at tiny.cc slash talking shirt. Or if you head to shirtsickle.com, you can get one of your own for just $19.99 plus tax and shipping. It comes in multiple different styles and ships somewhat internationally. So check it out. Even if you're not in North America, tiny.cc slash talking shirt. Hey, this is Sideshow Luke Perry. You're listening to Talking Simpsons on Laser Time. This week on Laser Time, the Internet's seventh leading pop culture podcast, the gang is tackling a brand new topic. So I tried to find a negative review of Citizen Kane. One star, it had no color. <laughs> it was utterly depressing. The camera angles were okay, but the acting really wasn't too good. All the actors were always interrupting themselves or each other, and it just didn't flow well in my mind. And this is my favorite line of all time. It's just like the Blair Witch Project. I mean, he's right. It's just like the Blair Witch Project. A lot of people watch Citizen Kane because of the hype and find themselves disappointed. It's sad but true. Citizen Kane was a real disappointment. Totally unoriginal plot. Bad lighting. Cheesy sets. Boring too. And gosh, what is this Rosebud thing? That was freaky. Whoa, dude. Anyway, this movie was, was whack and weird. mad boring. <laughs> <laughs> it no, was a bummer too that, that it was that. all black and white and all the guys looked the same because they all wore suits <laughs> that's laser time new every monday on lasertimepodcast.com itunes or wherever you get your podcasts All right. Woo. Now, oh, well. Dana is gone. What a great guest, everybody. So, yes, such a great yes. So We were all very lucky to see this. Yes. Yes. So now, we're going to get into the meat of our main topic. Uh, we actually didn't know we'd have Dana for this long, which is great. So, we got yeah. to ask a lot of great questions. But we're here still to determine the most pathetic man in Springfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should just get into it, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, we, well, we, Bob. Oh, go ahead. We're not qualified pathetic men. No, by the no. Way. No, no. We're all of you podcast? judging us. Yeah, we podcast about yeah. The Simpsons. We are not we pathetic. We podcast about at The all. Simpsons. I have a really cool vape pen. Not <laughs> pathetic That's in true. any way. He was asked to put it away <laughs> earlier. I know. What the hell? <laughs> that never happened. So, uh, sir, this is a museum. <laughs> <laughs> we all decided, we all separately chose our own pathetic male for uh, The Simpsons, and we're all we're going to let you guys vote in a very unscientific way in this very scientific building. So, Oh, but we, we discounted certain people, didn't we? That's right. That's right. So, uh, Dana immediately chose Gil, but he is discounted because Gil is too pathetic. He is the ringer. Uh, well, it's also, his job to be pathetic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he was he was he came into being as a very pathetic creature. I but mean, like Dana said, he was invented to be Jack Lemmon from Glengarry Gil yeah. and Ross. I just like, need the uh, Glengarry leads. <laughs> give me the give me the what? No one's seen that. Also, Diana, uh, where's the, where's the laughter? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Homer, of course, uh, if you watch the episode Homer's Enemy, old God, grimy. grimy, he gives a good argument as to mm-hmm. why Homer is not a failure. He lives in a mansion, he eats lobsters, right. his son owns a factory, for Christ's sake. I mean, Homer has got a 
made. And he makes $5 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody out there married with children who owns a home? Not in this fucking city. Stop it, uh, man. Put it down. Boo. Put it down. Also, so Wiggum, uh, he can legally murder people, so we right? don't want to throw him under the bus. Yeah. He's no. the chief. He has some pride in his work, too. And same, like, right. comic book guy, he... He's too detestable. I mean, he's too like shitty. Like he's in too full of himself. Too, I'd say that he's not not pathetic enough. Even though his catchphrase is "I wasted my life," <laughs> he has a lot of pride for being yeah. so pathetic. Though Otto's catchphrase is also "I've wasted my life." Uh, he wasted it in different it's more ways. More accurate. Yes. Yeah. So now that we've cleared the air, like we put some of these characters off the table, I will tell you my pick, which I believe will win. And that is Seymour Skinner as the most pathetic okay. man in Springfield. Eater of individual fruit cocktail cups, wearer of armor hot dogs, and overseer of unforgettable luncheons, and a big, big fan of dioramas. It's better than hearing Test Thursday. You heard it from him. Uh-huh. You were so, right to pick him. I'll tell you why I chose Skinner. Well, he has a very specific kind of patheticness. He's a, he, he was a virgin for a long time up until season eight. Uh, he's very lonely and lives with his uh, aggressive mother. And uh, there were just so many reasons, of course. He was a veteran, but he was a veteran yes. of an unpopular war. So, oh, boo! boo Vietnam. Go back to Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> as, as we all have seen from the show, he is some sort of non-giving-up school guy. He loves school. Mm. Automatically makes him lame as hell. Yeah. He also... He would not be invited to the veterans of popular wars in Springfield that Grandpa gets to go not to. Not very exactly, popular. Yeah. He gets, he gets the bad memorial. So... <laughs> Uh, last thing I have as to why he's pathetic, he is actually an imposter, but we oh, can't talk oh, about that on. under penalty of torture, so we won't even bring up Armin Tamsarian. <laughs> That'll be the last you hear of him during this live show. But I will go over Skinner's five lowest moments to convince all of you that Skinner <laughs> is the most pathetic creature on The Simpsons. You so, will get a vote. And you guys are all going to vote mm-hmm. informally. So number five, these are all in order from uh, least pathetic to most pathetic. Number five, I have uh, shot in the back by his own troops during a Bob Hope show. Uh, he was trying to get Joey Heatherton to put on some pants, and one of his own men shot him in the back. I imagine they did not release that USO show to the public. Yeah, and it man. was right after they took a photo. They took a photo with him and then shot him in the back. Like. That's the best way to do it. But, so this, this should be number one, but we don't see it. This is only told to Bart, oh. so we don't actually see this flashback. So that's why it is number five. Number four I have, we, uh, so I chose all of my instances from the shows we've done so far. So we just did season seven. There are more pathetic moments after, but these are all fresh in my mind. Uh, number four is the inflatable bath pillow incidents, uh, which landed Skinner on Springfield's version of Cops. Uh, and it did come up again in an episode we recently recorded where uh, Skinner's mother was in a, ch- in a child care class because, again, fighting over an inflatable bath pillow. Uh, <laughs> it's all a matter of pride for Skinner. He won't send it back to Taiwan for repairs. He won't spend, I don't know, $8 for a new he one. He has no money to buy that <laughs> yes. new one. Like, just like he has no money to buy a new pair of underwear for $8. It three, was his last pair. A $3 no. <laughs> household Walgreens item is tearing his family apart. Yes. It's impossible. He could easily fix this. Yes, so that is number four. And again, Skinner was shamed on cops. His face was blurred at the last minute. So <laughs> Blur my face. Yes. Uh, also, so number three, I have uh, this. This could be up higher, but I, I think Big Butt Skinner deserves to be number three. In case you forget it from the episode Bart's comment, this is where uh, Bart makes a weather balloon looks like Skinner with his naturally big ass, and he's wearing a sign that says, "Hi, I'm Big Butt Skinner." And this floats around town, humiliating him until he is humiliated even further no. by Bart discovering Skinner's comet. So yeah. that's number three. What do you guys no. think about this? No. Also, the president says school is for losers. Yeah, I know. He can't take it. it yeah, and a four-year-old has turned your ass into a celestial object. You're a fucking loser. <laughs> it really, it really is uh, low. Uh, so. Number two, I have getting fired in front of the entire school in Sweet Seymour Skinner's badass song, of course. It was not his fault, but uh, that was a very shameful moment for Skinner. And we see the one-time quirk of his where he hiccups when he's anxious. I wish they would have kept that. I, I don't know why they did. That was after he was accidentally anti-Semitic, I believe oh, it was. Right. And, uh, Yom Kippur. I mean, it sounds made it up. sounds so made up. Yom Kippur. <laughs> when Chalmers shamed him for the children being ugly. Like <laughs> room children. after room of ugly, <laughs> ugly children. I mean, it's not the children's I fault. I hardly think so. it's the children's uh, fault. So number one, and I, I am totally rigging this. Number one I have is steamed hams. So who's a fan of steamed hams in the room? Yeah. It is now uh, the meme that will never get old, I swear to God, on, on my own life. I will never get sick of seeing a new version of steamed hams. And this version is three guys, uh, three, uh, steamed hams, but three guys explaining steamed hams to you. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, of course, yes. 
This is one of the <laughs> this is one of the greatest two minutes of written comedy ever on television. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Skinner invites uh, Superintendent Chalmers over to his house for an unforgettable luncheon, <laughs> and basically Arguably the lamest term of all time for a regular lunch. Yes, for, uh, it's lunch <laughs> for a quiet lunch in your mother's house. <laughs> so uh, we see. I mean, you guys all are familiar with it. His roast is Never burning. He has to go across the street to Krusty Burger, and through a series of lies, his house his house catches on fire. And possibly his mother is seriously injured by smoke inhalation. Oh. And, again, and completely unbelievable. Like, Chalmers yeah. is not fooled at all once. I think Skinner gets a, be- a brief bit of respect that he is an odd, he is an odd fellow, but he steams a good ham. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his, his tens of thousands of dollars of damage were done to his house. And yes. I mean... There's no real going back from and that. And I'd say that's also pretty pathetic. That that's his greatest triumph, that he fooled... Chalmers into thinking that those were steamed hands. By, by sacrificing several rooms that's, of his house. That's yes. true. <laughs> Nothing gets by Chalmers. Yeah. And somehow Skinner won. Yes. Yeah. He may have well, lost his mother in a house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just the Northern Lights. <laughs> Before I wrap this up, I do want to ask you guys, what is your favorite steamed hams meme? Mine is Metal Gear Solid, but steamed hams, where mm. you get the Kodak conversations, you get the sound of a mm-hmm. disc spinning, you get the alert signals, you get the little radar in the top of the screen. Look this up, <laughs> not it's now. really Look good. Look this up when you get home. It's amazing. Uh, my favorite, I think, was the one I just saw today, so it's most in my memory, that every time a door opens, Chal- another Chalmers <laughs> walks into the house. So it follows the order of the sketch, except a new Chalmers walks into I the house. I believe it's called... Uh, Steam hams only every time something the reality is contorted. Yes, yeah. And there you end yeah. up with like sixteen chalmers. Mine mm. is a really good one where uh, it's Pulp Fiction. Like mm. really, Skinner, these burgers just take like Big Kahuna burger, uh, <laughs> and then Skinner's ends up being murdered at the end of this. It's mm. wonderful. It's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Pulp Fiction steamed hams. It's impossible not uh, to Google. So this concludes the us explaining memes portion of the show. Did that go yes. well? Did that and, go well uh, at, so at yeah. a science museum? A yes. stuffed ostrich right behind us, and we're <laughs> explaining shit posts. We're showing how we ruin our brains. <laughs> Memes are scientific. Yeah, they yeah. There's uh, a Metal Gear Solid 2. I mean, yeah, very scientific true. game. Well, all right. So mine, actually, I already have uh, Danny Gould's backup on this. Oh, that come Mo on. Unfair. Is. Low. That's low. I wrote this before, though. So did, this is my did. pick before Danny Gould voted. But, yes, I'd say Mo is the most pathetic man in Springfield mm. for several reasons. <laughs> like, mainly that he is, in every scene he is in, he is the rock bottom of the scene. Like, they set up the, like, well, who's the worst guy in this group? Who will make the joke that a man has a rope belt in the car when they're talking about their, their girlfriends, which he doesn't have? He has a woman he's stalking. That's Mo. Like, that's it. And Mo is either in his late 30s or early 60s, depending on different jokes in the show. It's mid-90s, according to the little I mean, rascal yes. he murdered. Yeah, so that's also... <laughs> le- okay, so Mo Sislek, a.k.a. Momar, a.k.a. Mo-mar. Kid uh, Gruesome, a.k.a. Kid Mo. He's a cruel man who pushes everyone away from him. He, the only time he got to have a girlfriend on the show was when they wrote in Hank Azaria's real-life girlfriend, Helen Hunt, to be his girlfriend on the show. Oh, they were so happy oh. together. Uh, <laughs> I know. They're so happy. I'm disappointed on that commentary. They never talk about how uh, they're divorced now. Like They're just like, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I think that. it was recently fresh. Uh, That'd be the place to air it. Yeah. Uh, but yes, Mo murdered the original Alfalfa, which <laughs> they just kind of let fly by. He beats his head into the ground in until uh, he is dead for stealing his bit. Stole his bit. Yeah, stole my bit. That's better than the actual death of Alfalfa. Yes. You, you should have done the same thing for yeah, me for true. mentioning that too early. <laughs> and uh, and as Dana said, Mo was also party to the first suicide on The Simpsons, watching his teacher walk into the water and drown. And uh, and also yes, that Mo has committed many crimes in Springfield too. He's usually if it's. If it's not Snake, then the crime is committed by Mo. Usually, he or it's, is, it's too lowly to be touched by Fat Tony. Yes, like smuggling yeah. <laughs> pandas and carrying a mm. whale. Carrying a whale, <laughs> smuggling pandas and whales. He serves liquor without a license. He runs a Russian roulette game in his back office, run by Vietnamese men. He attempted to murder Jimbo Jones and then just walked away after breaking into the Simpsons' house. By the way, he robbed Homer at gunpoint by pointing a shotgun in his head and saying, "Like I robbed." people now and he also once kidnapped david byrne and forced him to write a song about how nobody likes mo that's the song he writes like and he and he has said multiple times he is a registered sex offender as well 
And and also like that even when he's happy, even when he is doing charitable things, he actually hates it when people found out that he was reading books to sick children, he threatened to kill Ned for daring <laughs> to talk about it. Like so he can't even can't even be happy with that. As a positive, he does have two knives. And, <laughs> and, and also, he invented the flaming mole and just stole it from Homer and only was going to give it to him after, basically, he was going to get the most rich from it. So he's, he is always the bottom of the place. Also, it would be, it's, it's, he only got darker as it went on, as, as I feel Dana has confirmed for me, but this is my theory beforehand. I think the writers think he is the most pathetic as well and will give every horrible thing to Mo that they can. Having your head in an oven with a, a sign yes. that says no funeral taped to your back in the Christmas special. Yes. Uh, well, of, so, yes. That is the best Mo joke. Yeah, so that is, uh, so my five set is moments. Oh, my, yes, I burned it off. Yes, no, well, I'll go with that one first. So there's almost two many Mo suicide attempts to <laughs> attempts to list, but the darkest one is in the season eleven Christmas episode, Grift of the Magi. Uh. Just the image of Mo with his head in an oven and taped to his back is a note that says, No funeral. No. It's okay. He joins I, the Simpsons for dinner later. He replaces my his life head and with death a, never happened. <laughs> I'd like to think that he with a fat Christmas goose. I'd like to think that he couldn't afford gas. I, yeah, to kill they had shut off his gas, and he couldn't. It's just the image of no funeral. It's, Throw him in a ditch. Oh, that's that's pretty dark. Let so, the crows figure it out. Number number two in the two mo- misnosopy pedalons, it begins with a bachelor auction that establishes a poo is the most popular bachelor after every other man in Springfield is seemed to be ineligible and no one wants to date them. But the rock bottom of that group was Mo, who when he walks across the stage, he does not stop walking and the music does not stop and he immediately goes <laughs> to the reject section. Like that is how low he is, even among the joke where every guy in town is a loser, everyone hates Mo the most. All right. So number three, in Burns' heir, Mo says like he's pretending to be Travis Bickle, which is already a very dark, sad, pathetic thing to do. He is doing the classic, you talking to me, and fro- like moving his hand toward a mirror. Then the gun flies off, smashes the mirror, and which was an antique. So even when he is fantasizing <laughs> about being a troubled loner, it fails, and he can't fantasize about being Travis Bickle. It destroys an antique Man, mirror. You could be Travis Bickle with twenty dollars and a trip to any Army Navy store. <laughs> like it is not. It is not uh, that hard. And most still fucked it up. Very easy cosplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, the second to last one, Lisa on ice. Mo is about to lose his thumbs from a gambling debt, but not just any gambling debt. To a children's hockey game, like to a children's <laughs> hockey game, he has gambled so much that he might lose. Take my thumbs. I wonder if they. I wonder if that bet was just uh, you know nullified by the tie that happened at the end. I of that wonder. Episode. We we you know you can you can bet on a tie. You can't bet That's it's true. going to tie. Maybe nobody won. And, and well, Mo obviously kept his thumbs though. So mm. all right. And then lastly, Mo's most pathetic defeated moment in Simpsons history is one of my favorite moments in Simpsons history ever. It is in Who Shot Mr. Burns Part Two. He is taking a lie detector test. He is told that he he has to say he has a hot you date tonight no a date all right hot dinner date. with friends dinner with, friends. Dinner with, lo- dinner alone. with alone watching tv alone, TV alone. All okay right. all right i'm gonna uh, ogle ladies in the victoria's <laughs> secret catalog and then that is proven to be lies like sears catalog and mm. no no time has Sears catalog sounded more sad or pathetic. I do like the tag of uh, he's still in the chair and he says, I don't deserve this kind of shabby treatment. And it's, yeah. it's proved to be a lie. Yes. Like even he secretly believes he, he deserves that. His body treatment. rejects him and thinks yeah. he deserves that. A shabby disproven treatment. machine <laughs> believes he deserves this. Boy, yeah. So, yes. Now I think I chose it poorly. Dana Gould and myself agree. Most pathetic. Most is I, I think that's a low blow to use someone like Dana Gould to champion <laughs> your most pathetic person in Springfield. But I can do you one. One better. Oh, he's Beca- more adjacent because, I, like, oh, Barney, like Barney <laughs> Gumble, already a ripoff of the idiotic Barney Rubble, but like the 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 line "Oh, Barney" from Mo in the brothel episode when he has to remember, "Oh, I'm the only one who cares about this fucking guy." <laughs> this is a single 
alcoholic, pathetic, 40-year-old drunk who has done every single bad job in Springfield, <laughs> even if it includes you know, the most method behavior ever, wearing a diaper with no underwear that flies off in the wind right before you see your mother, which also suggests he's never left his hometown. Tell him Big Baby sent you. <laughs> yeah. It can't get any worse. He does uh, say comeback diaper. No, it makes the situation much worse. And because, like, it's why we disqualified Homer, because from the very beginning, from the first show, we have to we give it, be given somebody who is less pathetic than Homer, and that's Barney. Or, or like, more pathetic than Homer, because that's Barney. You need to root for Homer. Uh, yes, he's an awful slovenly drunk, but he's not single. <laughs> he owns a home, and he's got a good job. Whereas Barney has been an amateur crusty, mm-hmm. or... Uh, and, 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 I forget what the other ones were. Well, he was uh, the governor, or he was, well, he was not the town drunk in Colonial Springfield. He was, I'm supposed to be the governor. That's right. And he also, uh, he also played Bart on Bart Chat when Bart got famous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the worst possible job, clearly the guy has no benefits, even less than a crowdfunded pro- podcaster. <laughs> and I've got a better apartment than that. And in his apartment, uh, my God, I don't know if you have ever seen anybody who has a, uh, an end table that's a fucking cable spool like (laughs) like the the definition of a loser but here's where it really bothers me because barney on several occasions has shown aptitude and who doesn't hate wasted potential Mm. uh barney can sing barney can direct a film don't cry for me i'm up you know the fuck you know you know which one that is he can direct a film he is an adept astronaut for some reason. <laughs> uh, and, and we see in the flashback episode that he was preparing uh, for his SATs. Harvard, here I come. Harvard, here I come. Yeah. <laughs> a much higher voice uh, with, with, with no exposed teeth. Mm. Yes. Like, uh, like until Homer gave him a beard. The, you know what a fucking loser you have to be if Homer Simpson dictates the course of your life on a regular basis? Yeah. The only time Barney has succeeded in any way is by following Homer's cues. <laughs> He's had one successful business by buying a bigger plow. Simpler times. Simpler times. <laughs> well, late. yeah, by ripping. I will say he was uh, friends with... Uh, Linda Ronstadt. Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. He's friends yeah. with Linda Ronstadt. One of he, two women we see him with in yeah. 30 years. He, he has potential and squandered it on the Springfield equivalent of fucking Miller High Life. <laughs> it's infuriating. It's infuriating. And he, what's even worse of all, like the way I tried to phrase it was that like not only does Barney have no willpower, he has no will. <laughs> or like will to live. If you didn't close the bar, I'd never leave. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And not only that, he if he wanted to, he can't even die. <laughs> uh, he can't even die. He can be exploded, be involved in jetpack incidents, have his head slammed in a car door. He, he is not even allowed the merciful embrace of sweet death to escape this mortal coil. He is stuck here forever to do nothing. Secret talent, though, he makes really great omelets. He, big-ass omelets. Yeah. And, of course, most of all, established in the first episode of The Simpsons, he dates a girl named Diarrhea. That's disgusting. No. That's disgusting. That is Chris Headcanon. Uh, no, it is not Daria. I would have heard Daria. It's Diarrhea. Let's roll Diarrhea. I'd also say that he has drunk beer out of an ashtray. That's true. Oh, it smelled beer in this he, ashtray. He sucked it from an empty keg until his gums have bled from mm, the effort. Yes. Uh, his gums pretty bad. And yeah. I'm not... I don't mean to disparage Barney. I am Barney. We're all oh. Barney. Like... Well, you don't suck quarters out of a love tester machine. It's That's only nine o'clock. <laughs> uh, I think another sad thing about Barney is he's covered in ears. He has gro- he has grown extra ears from his multiple That's science right. experience. If it's a shitty job, Barney will do it. And because of, because of Barney, Mo had to create a new job in which you have to guard the beer delivery truck, or else Barney will drink it all. Yes, yes. Smithers almost had the Barney guarding job, <laughs> which was a it was the lowest point for Smithers in that episode, and yet. He he was so far above Barney in that moment. Like, I, it's true. Uh, and yeah, that it was established that if Barney doesn't drink, he becomes a fit astronaut. Yes. That's, that's what he becomes. He becomes an excellent human being. And I've tried mm. to stop drinking. That doesn't happen that easily. <laughs> uh, that's how much Bar- Barney excels. If yeah. He co- so, yeah, I think Barney does have the arc of becoming... Uh, but also then falling off the wagon. I like think he's in any other drunk and not. In any, in any other fucking town, Barney would be the most celebrated human being in the universe. <laughs> but because of his affinity for Homer Simpson, who has somehow been allowed to dictate the course of his life <laughs> through through one beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's 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 sad. It's not. It, I think that and sad. 
is kind of that's pathetic, right? It's quite yeah, pathetic. I mean, that's yes. pathetic. The the gods of the Simpsons universe, and by that I mean the writers, they decided Barney cannot improve. They made him sober briefly, but they're like, nah, he's not funny. And that's Make if you're a big again. fan of the Simpsons, that's how that's how little Barney matters to the world of Springfield and the Simpsons. <laughs> he's the only one allowed to have an entire thing change about him, and yeah. nobody cared. Because they changed it back and nobody cared either. Yeah, well, originally, we this was in our interview with Mike Scully. He said that originally in the script he was just going to fall back off the wagon, mm-hmm. but he said that was that just was too dark. They're like, no, mm. we can't do that with him there. But, yeah, you know, hmm, he is below Mo. But yes, Mo, exactly. Mo he's subservient to Mo. Mo is this guy's gatekeeper. <laughs> so he's, he has to be more pathetic than Mo. He's the only one of our, uh, of our selections that doesn't have a job either. He has... Mm. In that he has numerous jobs, has numerous, fly by night. Yeah. <laughs> if you can juggle a sign, Barney will do it. They're very under the table, you're right. <laughs> so, well, all right. No offense to sign jugglers out there. I can see a lot of you very upset. About that. <laughs> it's so, actually how you knew sign juggling was sad on Rick and Morty because that was what... Uh, 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 Jerry was watching a guide to become one to apply to be a sign yeah. spinner in one yeah. episode. So uh, we're going to wrap up here. I think we should have our audience vote. It's, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we can hear. How about the applause meter? The applause meter. Yeah. Okay. So uh, do I do the thing with my arm? <laughs> let's have Chris judge the applause meter. Yes. He could be yeah. the uh, impartial judge, but you can't choose your own person. Okay. So automatically. Oh, I so, won't do that. <laughs> if you want Skinner to be the most pathetic, please make noise. <laughs> Quiet, Jojo. Okay. Let's. Uh, right. How about let's give how it up? We here for Mo. Just a little higher. A little higher. Okay. And finally, Barney Gumble. No, no one! <laughs> Fucking oh, no one! Oh, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? One guy. Oh, oh. my God. Okay, f- look. I think that wins the pathetic battle. Oh, he didn't boy. get a vote. And it was he's free. not even popular. Uh, yeah, that, that, Chris may have a point. He is too pathetic to be found to be the most pathetic. From you people. He got one vote. And I get it. You don't like me. This is not about that. <laughs> mm, boy, I think Marty should be... I kind of sold on that one I, vote. I, I agree with that argument. Yeah, yeah. that, that should have hurt for everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I made a compelling case. <laughs> you did. Oh. You did. Oh. So yeah, thanks so everybody. Barney, for officially the most pathetic man. As in as of now, we have decided it is now official. Talking Please, Simpsons stamp of approval. Email Matt Graining tomorrow. Oh and my I will be blocked <laughs> again. So yeah, thanks all. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thank in case you. you don't remember, we are talking Simpsons. TalkingSimpsons.com dot com every Wednesday on the Laser Time Podcast Network. We go through the entire show in order. We're at the very beginning of season seven, and it's so great and so much yeah. fun. Any other things you guys want to talk about? No, I mean we got like one hundred and twenty episodes on there. You can give a listen to. We also did one about the critic, but that's only on our Patreon at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. But yes, we are part of the Laser Time Podcast Network with this big love over here. Hi, yeah. Uh, Chris, yeah. you won. Are we doing plugs here? No, this, yes, thank you yeah. for coming out. We've never done a, a live show before. This is really interesting to do. Yes, so thank, thank you thank very you so much. much. Thank you. You've been a great audience. Our yeah. first live show. Thank you very yeah, much. Totally. All right. Well, and, th- and thank you, Sketchfest, for having thank us out here, too. And thanks to Dana Gould, wherever you are. Yes, for real. Thank you so much. Right. Watch Stand Against Evil. It's great. Yes, oh, yes. Stand Against Evil. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. infotainment.